Today we're talking about overall campaign length, and as we've so eloquently put it, knowing when to quit. Welcome to Passive Aggressive Perception, the system agnostic TTRPG podcast, where we ask more questions than we provide answers. My name is Ivan, and this is the Eric Idol to my John Cleese, Steve. Mm, Stay tuned. (laughs) Why? And now for something completely different. (laughs) Name other members of Monty Python. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's a really good question. I don't think I can off the top of my head. One famous one for the other famous one. the other famous one. I mean, those guys were all geniuses, but uh, also I'm the guy that like has been listening to songs for 30 years and can't tell you all the lyrics. I'm so bad with like celebrity names Mm -hmm. and like just memorizing like who directed that? Who made that? (laughs) So that's actually says something about Eric Idle and John Cleese that I do remember their names. You'd be like, I don't know their name, but it was the one who played King Arthur. Dude, the amount of times. Michael Palin. (laughs) That's not my answer to that question. It's just a name of another person in Monty Python. Please don't tell me that I got the which one played King Arthur wrong. The amount of times that you've told me who plays the Mandalorian and also just like in Boba Fett and the rich history of that actor and how they like brought them back and done this and that with them. You've told me that name. Probably hundreds of times, and I still don't remember it. Look, I have made no secret that I go on IMDb during the movie to be like, what is that person from? I can't even enjoy this movie right now. <laughs> I do that. You know what I do that with a lot? Um, I know this isn't really your bag, but uh, the DC animated movies, I'm a big fan of supers. Are oh, you uh, trying to guess the voice? Well, it's not even just the voice. It's like, I love DC animated because they're a lot wackier than, like, say, the Marvel live action movies. And they just incorporate just a ton of, like, random ass side characters that you never would have thought of if they hadn't stuck them in there. And you're like, okay, who's this little weird goblin dude that wanders around casting spells on people? And then you look it up and the Wikipedia page is, like, 10 pages long. And you're like, oh, shit, this is cool. Mm. (laughs) So so I end up, like, a two-hour movie will take me, like, four hours because I spend half the time reading it. Mm. I do my IMDb deep dive after yeah, 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 and I go what as everyone from and the trivia and the and this that and the right. anachronisms and mm-hmm. everything. I am really hard to watch something with. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> you uh, want you think you're going to get a reaction from me yeah. on that? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. want me to betray myself? I will yeah. not. Yeah, I know. Oh man! All right, so let's move on to a little bit of TTRPG news. And today uh, we use that that intro because it's relevant. Uh, it looks like there is going to be an official Monty Python RPG coming to Kickstarter in October of 2022. It's going to be called Monty Python's Co-Curricular Medieval Reenactment Program, which is the best name. Yeah, because it has like RPG crossed off. It's like, no, it's not. It's a curriculum, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So this features some unique mechanics, including rolling dice to determine how silly versus how serious something is. And I guess it's being brought to us from Exalted Funeral by designers Brian Saliba and Craig Schaefer. If I mispronounce that, I apologize. Yeah, I I really like Exalted Funeral. I have a Merkborg supplement from Exalted Funeral, which is a whole adventure, but it's printed on the sleeve of a vinyl LP. And you play the soundtrack to this adventure, and it's like a bunch of like sludge and doom metal. And I thought that was a really, really cool format to do an RPG adventure in. So I, I have a lot of respect for these guys. I still get their emails in my inbox constantly because they just are constantly releasing really cool stuff. This is going to be a real test for like 
the union of RPGers who love this stuff and but don't want to be don't want to play silly games. Right. Who are like, oh yeah. man, I still got to play this. Yeah, exactly. Also, the taper rules of like not just constantly quoting Monty Python while you play or out you, the window. Yeah. <laughs> It's like wearing the band shirt to the show, though, isn't yeah, it? Like, well, yeah, is it yeah. won't quoting Monty Python while you're trying to play yeah. Monty Python kind of be like? I think this is. You know what's cool is that I think people that maybe haven't gotten around to or are reluctant for some reason to play games like Paranoia, this is a new like entry point into that style of just gaming absurdity that they might not have had access to earlier. I like that in like kind of the modern RPG book. A lot of times authors in the beginning will talk about like cite their influences or right. at least the inspirations for maybe this game. Mm-hmm. And boy, the reading list for this is going to be wild. Also, I in the past am from the camp of like, I want to watch some inspirational movies to like get me in a headspace for a campaign. Sure, sure. Or even like literally, I remember one campaign, I think we watched Willow. Right. Before a campaign right. like, as a crew. That's cool. So this one's going to have a great watch list in front of it. <laughs> Whatever you pick. I mean, by default, you could just go with some Monty Python, but you're going to get to watch some stuff before, <laughs> yeah. before these campaigns. I guess it also features a... <laughs> I can't make this shit up. I'm just going to quote this exactly as I read it. A backgammon-based minigame that involves dice catapults and farm animals called Fete la Vache. <laughs> have you ever played backgammon? I have never played backgammon. Yeah, no, I, it's the one with the little triangles and the the, the black and the white thingies, right? For yes, for two people who play a lot of board games, I have a feeling our like our like way back in the day board game history yeah. is like pretty poor. Yeah, like, I, I haven't played a game of chess in years. Well, it's you say that, and I agree because a lot of the games that I played as a kid were things like uh, shit. What's it called, Mister Wiggly? It's about like the rabbit with rheumatoid arthritis that has to go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I will not engage with you on this. I want you. I want you to flounder or maybe think that you had a fever dream or at least this is a Berenstain <laughs> Bears situation. I swear to God. Okay, so there's this game and I think it was called something like Mr. Wiggly and it was a rabbit and he had rheumatoid arthritis and he had to travel through the map kind of like shoots and ladders style until he got to the doctor's office. I think this is how I remember it. I believe my grandmother had this game. What I'm trying to say is most of the games that I've played in my life had some kind of narrative attached to it. And so games, especially like competitive dueling games like chess or checkers or backgammon and stuff like that, never really had that much interest to me. But the games where it was like, here, you have to do this as this absurd thing. And here's a ridiculous rule set to facilitate that. I have always been on top of. I feel like game designers for the last 2000 years up until about 20 years ago were super boring. (laughs) I didn't have a sense of narrative. And now it's like the dam is broken. There's a reason why like chess was the only game for like, (laughs) like a thousand years. People are like, man, if someone would just invent (laughs) mousetrap, I'll play the shit out of that. Don't wake daddy. Good lord. Uh, for all the 90s kids out there that remember that commercial. Yeah, man. I love hearing those stories, too, about, like, those ancient bone dice from, like, the Babylonian Empire and shit. Like, those, like, like the, the oldest known civilizations have been playing with, like, some form of polyhedral yeah, the, dice for all the of eternity. The literal knuckle bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. All right. Moving on, though, to some more TTRPG news. This one interests me a lot, and this is also supposed to be hitting crowdfunding in October, but it's a game by Snowbright Studio, which is a very pretty name for a studio, but it's a new RPG called Ink, and this game is set in the islands and waters of the afterlife. It takes place after you're dead. 
which opens up some pretty cool possibilities. It features a pretty simple D6 system, a journey generation system to make like campaign setup like pretty easy for GMs. And it also allows you to bring back old dead characters from other campaigns, which I thought was really neat. Oh, you are sad that you did an accidental TPK? Yeah. Just switch your rules. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah. The RPG gods just hand you this book after you're like, oh, shit. Right. Look what I did. And like, I, again, without having read the book and knowing like what memories the characters retain or this or that or the other thing, you could feasibly have like, OK, I've got my D&D character, but then I've also got like my Orc with a K character from Shadowrun. And then you've got like your red shirt, your red shirt Star Trek character, right? That you can bring into that game. And then if they like remember their pasts, that might be like a really wild, fun role playing experience. Here's your uh, genre bending weird game. Yeah. Put all the characters of yours that have died, no matter what the game was together. Right. In a clown car, in a Beetlejuice clown car (laughs) RPG. (laughs) Exactly. And they, it looks like they're taking kind of, I don't want to say a lighthearted, but they're taking like a a rules light or approach to this. It says they have like puzzle based boss encounters, which sounds interesting. I Jesus, are they just like coming right after you like personally (laughs) i know know. this guy will pledge this game no matter what it takes it looks really fun and even better it's not kickstarter because everybody knows we've talked about this before i have some qualms with kickstarter and how it's run Uh, a lot of people do actually right now especially for their support of of bitcoin and the whole crypto fiasco lately game found and backer kit yeah this is coming to backer kit so it's a non-kickstarter thing too so i'm all about it All right, moving on from that, this is the final piece of news we have for today. It looks like Kobold Press has their Tome of Beasts 3 now available for pre-order. If you haven't heard about this, you're probably living under a rock. It's probably the single most successful bestiary, bestiary, bestiary (laughs) for for, uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition to ever come out. There's two of them that have come out previously. Uh, It had a wildly successful Kickstarter campaign. But yeah, it's a series of manuals full of new monsters for 5e. Here's the problem. 5e doesn't really have any monsters yeah you know where would you even find a stat on a monster yeah if there's one thing that i think 5e is really hard up for it's additional supplements to help expand the game (laughs) Uh, played in my brother's campaign we played till level 13 and i don't remember fighting a monster because we just didn't have any stats oh man this now i feel like we got a good chance to reboot that one yeah thank you (laughs) Kobo. also um street team fam can we get a poll on how to pronounce the tome full of uh monster stats please bestiary or bestiary let us know rpg match if you hear this please make that a poll uh so, so real talk though framing that absolute absolute ridiculousness in a in a serious way i do find it slightly fascinating that we already have so much official material from Wizards of the Coast for D&D. And this isn't even counting stuff back in the TSR days of like Dragon and Dungeon Magazine with like all those modules that if you had half a minute, you could adapt pretty easily to modern gaming. It seems interesting to me that out of how many people play Dungeons and Dragons, so few of them have actually gotten to an end game experience, like a level 20 experience. And so few of them have probably played like every available module you can play or every available adventure. Okay, second uh, poll request. (laughs) Percentage breakdown of how many monsters you've played with or fought in in your days of of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And it's, it's interesting in that... Even knowing that and acknowledging how many people have like completed the D&D catalog, 
we've still fostered such a culture of supplementing and creating more content and customizing it more and making more specific things. And I just think that's kind of like an interesting sociological fact. <laughs> My, I've already told you, I think that, that, that it is a separate hobby. Buying craft supplies and making crafts is to making books full of monster stats and GMing. Yeah. Yeah, I, dude, I mean, let's be real. I think that the 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 casual player, the non perhaps I would say lifers like us that jump into D&D for a few years and then drop it and then come back to it like a decade later, like they could probably play for several several years without ever even scratching the surface of even just the officially published and available D&D stuff or even like encountering every single monster in just the monster manual. When we started playing, I definitely remember being like we played Shadowrun or like whatever iteration we started with with D&D with like the core book. Right. That was it. Like the fact that they call it the core book implies that there are other books out there. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But like and and nowadays it's like a weird asterisk where you have to be like at session zero, you have to be like, I want to do character creation, but only out of the core book mm -hmm, mm -hmm. instead of just being like, you know, what we got for this whole ass game, the core rule book. Yeah. Now they're like, which bestiary are we using? <laughs> Of the 45 <laughs> official and, Dude, and third party. That's rarer now, too, to actually limit character creation. I've just acquiesced at this point, and I've said, you know what, dude? Like, there are zero restrictions on character creation in any system I run. And I was like, you come to me. I probably won't get it because you're going to know more about it than me. Just fucking explain it to me, and we'll make it work, okay? I've, I've seen third party, like, prestige classes and stuff just wreck games and yeah, yeah. ruin party balance. Mm -hmm. and Or not ruin party balance, but, like cause issues with like these challenges that are like this should be a great challenge for your whole party except for the one person who has this like hyper narrow dumb thing right right also like to me a lot of that stuff grows out of like the power gamer so it yeah where yeah. a lot of very rarely is third party like cool stuff just like interesting it's usually mm -hmm. weaponized it's usually super min max and yep. that's definitely a player archetype and i mean we talked about this in our um, min maxing episode which i would implore other people to go listen to but i don't want to throw shade at it because it is definitely a player archetype and some people just enjoy the game in that way but sometimes it can cause some serious issues for trying to kind of rectify disparities between people that want to play the game differently at well, the same table to me a lot of times and i'm sure that I will get shit upon for this, but like the base stuff, especially stuff because it got like tested in a context, you can make the thing, you know, yeah. like you want to make this crazy great elvish archer. Okay, cool. There's like an archer class. So just right. do that. Sure. If you need a third party book to be like, how can I shoot three arrows at once through the, you know, through the eye of a needle, yeah. you know, or, or like I'm a great archer in windy conditions and stuff. Then like, Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know what, it comes down to, a, there's a couple of justifications for it, but the big one for me, I think, would be time. If you're like a particularly busy person, I can't imagine being so busy that you wouldn't be able to sit down for 10 minutes and make a new monster or something. But like, if you're so busy and you really value your time and you would rather just like pay 50 bucks to have a, a giant compendium of shit you can pull from without having to put that much like thought labor into it, like I can respect that. Yeah, it's just that this is volume three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I implore you, get volume one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's not enough, I'm yes. not sure this is the right show for you. Right, right. Still so, continue to listen to the show, even if you are not that person. Yeah, that being said, we are critical of this, but we are both huge proponents of 
people taking an active role in twisting, bending, breaking, adding to and subtracting from games. Yes. I think that that part of the hobby is an aspect that I really, really enjoy and I think is really important. So you keep doing you even if we break your butt for it. Yes, we <laughs> are equal parts not yucking people's yums and snarky. <laughs> snarky so resolve bastards. that how you want because you can't because we can't. We've tried and we're us. Oh, man. That's okay. <laughs> That's what I have for news for today. Time to move on to the meat and potatoes. The subject of today's show is campaign length. This is going to be one of our more subjective, possibly circuitous conversations, but I think that it's a valuable one worth talking about. If you've ever found your sessions dragging, or maybe you've noticed your players are starting to lose interest, or maybe you're just struggling to tie up a story arc, then maybe this is for you. What is it about this subject that particularly interests you and brought you to this table? Well, you want to have at least... At least think about it, right? This doesn't have, we're not doing this because this is like a foundational thing for, right. for a campaign. Yeah, go listen to you Matt Coville if you want that kind of stuff. It's not us. <laughs> but also listen to him anyways. Yeah. Um, but like, it's not like you need to resolve this in every campaign all the time and be thinking about it. But it helps to have some scope. And you do want to at least try to address it and have it in, in your mind so that you don't get to the point in these campaigns where it is dragging and either the GM is not having fun, but you don't necessarily want to just axe that shit and ruin the fun for the players or the you're starting to lose the table. Right. And then you have to be like, okay, and you arrive in Mount Doom, go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. So having at least a loose plan, if not a really definitive plan, could potentially screw with things like pacing. Yeah, let me let me start this episode with a very quick metaphor. You're at a party, and there's a person of interest there, somebody that you might think is the, the holder of many a glorious story. And then you go up and you ask them about their fascinating experience at X, Y, or Z. And they begin the story, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. And it's been about 10 minutes, and they still haven't gotten to the fucking point. Regardless of how interesting the subject matter may be, the story that this person is telling is neither concise, brief, interesting enough, or paced well enough to hold your interest because they don't have a solid structure for how they're telling it to you. Don't be that person. Yeah. Much like I just described that metaphor <laughs> is a perfect example. Or can you please exactly get to the end of this <laughs> metaphor? Oh, my God. Exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, I would. Yeah. Why don't we just let's go around the table. What is the time that you think maybe that you have run a campaign or a game group will say too long? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any particular situations like right off the top of my head, but I definitely know that there can be a real nerve wracking moment with a campaign when you're like, am I like ruining the experience more than I'm even adding to it at this point? Like, I mean, players don't necessarily pull you aside and be like, yo, we got to wrap it up or like tell you like I am bored. I am legitimately bored. That's a, that's a rough like human to human conversation. Yes. But if you see, it's going to be harder to get a session together. Right. You know, like that kind of stuff are like the clues to that it's, it is not going right or well. And I have definitely had campaigns where I feel like kind of floundering, like I'm just adding a plot tendril because I'm like, this will chew up a couple sessions. And that's so terrible to be in yeah. a mind frame where you're just yeah. like, here's a thing I'll give them to just spin them around a little bit. And, and it should yeah. maybe entertain him for a little while. Yeah, I actually want to touch on that 
way more. I'm going to answer my own question here and say that I've definitely had situations like that as well. I would say during our Storm King's Thunder campaign, I think that this is a different kind of pacing issue that I had, but it's relevant to the same subject. I didn't have like any kind of clear lines of delineation between like sub arcs and like individual story arcs in the overall arc. And I think that sometimes what I did instead of having those things organized in my own head was we would have some kind of grand conclusion to some kind of interesting arc that maybe lasted two or three sessions. And uh, we stormed into iron slag or whatever and killed Duke Zalto. And then from there, it was this grand, glorious, victorious moment. But because we're mid session, we jumped immediately into the next thing without giving people time to like kind of decompress and absorb and process what just happened and prepare themselves for the next part of that arc or the next arc. And uh, I think that because I didn't kind of create those lines of demarcation in my story, my campaign suffered for it because I was striving to get to the end of the campaign instead of striving to tell the best story or build the best story. Right. Well, in, in that literal chapter, we that was as closest to a TPK I've ever been involved in. Mm-hmm. And like the adrenaline of that, like it has to go somewhere. And it's tough, too, because when it's in the middle of a session, right. that's that's just such a corner case, too, where you're like, OK, I mean, like we definitely have an hour and a half more. But like this is emotional and draining and then right. you do right. want to kind of like sit in this for a little while okay the whole crew almost died um <laughs> well uh, you want to go to the tavern and like see what you want to talk to yeah. the mr johnson and get the next gig like, yeah so you fly back to mithril hall and whew. go directly to the next thing it's actually what i think we did but what's interesting about that too just to get a little bit more specific is that i think we got to like duke zalto's chambers in iron slag in storm king's thunder and then somebody was like, uh, you know what? I got work the next morning. I got to bail. Is that cool? And everyone was like, yeah, that's fine. Like six people at the table. We all bailed. And then the next session we started was like a boss encounter. And it wasn't like a four hour cool dragon combat. It was like a very close to TPK stressful anxiety inducing encounter that lasted maybe like an hour. Uh, so it, it was difficult to recover from that. Uh, I guess the point I'm making is, is as I said earlier, those those lines of demarcation and, and understanding I guess, when things should come to their natural end and how they play into the bigger picture and how that contributes to the overall story instead of just focusing on getting to the next thing because you you feel an urgency or a need to get to the next thing because you have the the, the goal line in front of you, right? right? If you have a plan and you have an end point or, or even just, you know, the, the chapter that you're currently in and kind of what you're looking ahead as possibilities, sometimes having kind of too much space or too much freedom, you just get kind of wandering around chapters, right? And I mean, if we look at traditional playwriting, you've got acts one, two, and three. That still translates to modern cinema. If you don't think it does, then just like honestly read a story craft book. It, 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 it's a fundamental. It's how, well, it's yeah. how you write adventures too. If yeah. you're writing prepared stuff, and and obviously things are going to move around within that, but sure. having a three-act sense of an adventure as storytelling for the purposes of pacing and right. for at least enough structure for the players to know where they can go within this thing, like that's those are great tenants to use. Totally. Uh, and, you know, look at novels. I mean, they're broken up into chapters for a reason. I mean, even learning like in curriculums is it curriculums or curriculi? Curriculi, curriculi. <laughs> um, can we get a poll on 
What's the plural of curriculum? Curriculum. We gotta ask Michael Lowe. He'll know that. Luck Legends. <laughs> He'll be able to tell me like like that. Um, but no, I mean, even even like fundamental to human learning, we break things into sections. We break them into to really get loose with this interpretation, tiny little story arcs. There were chapters in the books I learned from in school. Yeah, I mean, like totally. Literal chapters in that. So, I mean, without without going way too verbose on this particular concept, what I'm trying to say is your game could benefit, I think, from breaking up your overall stories into small digestible chunks and then making them relevant to the bigger picture. And I think it would can significantly help your pacing, especially if you're concerned. If you're playing something like Homebrew, you don't know where the ending is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it can help you define some of those parameters that can lead to like healthier and, and better built games right and and it also can be a stepping stone for seeing maybe where the end should be if you have a big exciting conclusion to something then where it might go next or how many times you should have something like this how many big builds to conclusion you have that might be a guide for pacing you know we have we'll make a three x two this campaign is going to have three acts Yeah, yeah, yeah. over the course of an act not being like a a session or an adventure. You know, it's going to have, you know, a chance for the players to establish who they are for characters and make enemies. And then the second one is going to be the pursuit and the build out of what we need to how where we need to get ourselves to take on the big bad. And then the third chapter is the final, you know, confrontation with the big bad and what happens whether we succeed or fail and at the end of that that's the campaign totally and one of my favorite tools or mechanics to facilitate this kind of thinking and help this kind of concept along is time jumps i think that there is nothing wrong and in fact i think it's admirable and an interesting story tool to say okay you have killed the big boss in this particular mini arc that plays into the overall campaign we're going to go ahead and time jump and do some downtime activities similar to what we talk about with the uh, the fellowship phase of the One Ring. Mm-hmm. You you just time jump through several months or several years even or maybe just a few days or a few weeks. And you say, you know, let's do a quick abridged version of what happened and then go on to the next adventure. And I think that that's totally beneficial for things like pacing. Yeah, that also can be a good mile marker for a session. You have a adventuring season that spans a couple sessions and it it doesn't fit nicely into two sessions. Right. It doesn't fit nicely into one Mm -hmm. to kind of get yourself that one and a half session. Okay, so let's use the fellowship phase. Let's use the downtime system in whatever game you're playing and just give it maybe more room to breathe than normal is a nice chapter close. We can end the session. It gives all the players and the GM a chance to to say, okay, well, we accomplished that, had some downtime next start of next session we can advance a couple weeks and totally. get into the next thing because like even i imagine i don't have any working knowledge of this but like uh, a crew that does bank robberies <laughs> in real life does not merely go from one to another nice to another save. to another to another like all the time <laughs> like no matter what you do whether it's adventures or day-to-day drudgery right. like you need a break. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, like yeah. even adventures, like after you fight a dragon, I wouldn't be like, okay, what do we got next? I'd be like, <laughs> even the longest long rest still is not yeah. enough time. Yeah. You gotta take stock and see and we're gonna talk about it and then we're gonna move on to the next thing. Right. But it ain't tomorrow. Yeah. And I want to retouch on something that you actually said uh in your example of individual games that you played that might have gone too long. It, it really is it's about pacing. And I think that this is a real danger in the hobby that 
sometimes this even comes from being too strict about thinking when things should end. So if you have the ending of a campaign as the the, the ultimate goalpost, right, and like that's where you're trying to get, but you are reliant, like too reliant on a very specific sequence of events to get there, it can evolve often into filling up airtime with just too much mundane, uninteresting shit. You want to say to yourself, oh, you know, we had this plan to be a year campaign or we have no definite ending, which can lead you to like over prioritizing really boring shit like interactions during stuff like downtime activities. Like, sorry, like buying a new pauldron should not take up two sessions. You know what I mean? But similarly, if you're rushing to the finish, sometimes the really interesting interactions that you can get from buying that pauldron can get glossed over without being paid enough attention. Right. I think that in doing something like that, like you are really impressing upon the group what you think is important. Right. And when you screw with pace or don't even provide any, right. you just lean on this story part, this piece of story, then like you're kind of grabbing the reins away from the PCs who the players might have something where they want to, yeah, they fall in love with the blacksmiths, whatever. But, yeah. like, they want to explore these things. And if you are like, look, we got to get to the end of the chapter no matter what by the right. end of the session. Right. Like, you're sacrificing story for some kind of very arbitrary goal. You're not trying to have an exciting encounter. You're trying to have a two-hour session. Yeah, yeah, at exactly. At the expense of that stuff. Totally. I think kind of, like, the ultimate distillation of this concept for me breaks down into... I think modern gaming as an institution and modern gamers are largely reluctant to have an ending. I think that the the fantasy, like the power fantasy about the power fantasy, is that you will play the same character with the same group for 50 years and you will carry this character on to eternity and all their adventures will last as long as your human life lasts. And I think that's a noble pursuit and that's an interesting pursuit. I think that it burgeons on wholly unrealistic, but also it, it sets us up, I think, for failure in that we're not acknowledging that many stories are better for having an ending. Very few TV shows like are on for like 20 plus seasons, sure. even if they're great, because you, there's only so many compelling stories that you can tell or like you want Simpsons to, did it. You want to see other characters, you know, like cool law and order is great, but like not every show can just have compelling individual chapters 300 times. Also, I not to freaking throw a wrench into the mix, but Law & Order largely works because of its Monster of the Week formula. Yeah, as long as there's crazy crime happening in real life, like, okay, we got, we got the next script. Like, exactly. As long as real life continues to happen, exactly. like, they're fine. And arguably, I mean, like I said, Law & Order is just a giant series of one-shots. So I'd argue that, like, yeah, they can, they have the same cast, the same characters, yeah. But they're like individual campaigns every episode. Right. So, yeah, um, here's an example of a campaign I ran too long. Westworld. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, that's what, how I would like to challenge people. Why don't people sit down and think to themselves, how many shows that they love and hold dear have they said, oh, it should have ended after season two or mm -hmm. it should have ended after season four or season nine yeah. or whatever? Which movie didn't need a sequel? Yeah. Or also, how many campaigns have you been in that maybe lasted a long time? And like, I would like to consider anything over maybe like six months as a long-term campaign just for the sake of ease here like how many games have you been in that have lasted more than six months that eventually just kind of fucking died out 
There was no great conclusion. There was no payoff, no climax. It just ended. Yeah, the one caveat I have is is that that game didn't have an ending in mind. Like, I understand long campaigns that maybe petered out because of other shit. Right. You know what I mean? That game didn't peter out because we lost focus. Right, you right, know, that, right. That, to me, is a different thing. When when a game has a good chapter format and it has a good end point in mind and it ends like that, then you probably had a good experience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... Uh, here's another question to the audience. How many GMs out there have realized that somebody was moving away in a month and then had to scramble to try to piece together an ending to a campaign Mm -hmm. and make things make sense? I guess the point I'm making is if you at least retain the knowledge that even on the micro sense, even in, like we said, those sub arcs, even in that way, if you have some kind of definitive conclusion, not necessarily planned, but I guess conceptualized, not, well, he's going to get married to that person, and then that person is going to do this, and then that person's going to do this, and then we're all going to end once we reach those goals, but have a general idea of when to pull the plug on things. It's going to help you craft, I think, more interesting and much better structured games. And I think that some people are taking this to heart. You know, we talked about an indie game that I kickstarted recently called Upriver Downriver. It's that like, you pledged. I did. I pledged. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Did, you did not kickstart. No, I did not kickstart <laughs> it. No. Uh, yeah. So I pledged this. It's like a tarot inspired, interesting game that's like very metaphorical. And you're like floating down the river and the river represents X, Y or Z. And you're like trying to get to a specific place. And it's it's about the journey along the way. But the what they say is, you know, uh, they think a game is better for having an ending. And there's a definite ending to that game. It could be two sessions, could be four, it could be six. I think that some developers and some designers are kind of taking this to heart and that there is some interesting content coming out there, mostly from indie folks, even like Dread, which is the one shot format. Or uh, as you mentioned before the show, Merkborg, which the world literally ends after you roll enough certain values on dice mm-hmm. that add an element to the game that wouldn't exist if there weren't an ending. Right. Um, There were a few other examples of systems that kind of enable you to have these markers is uh, we talked about the idea of like level based systems by having levels, especially where the levels end. That is a hint, if not an outright demand that like that's when the game peaks or or is like not challenging anymore like dnd by nature its natural state is to end at 20 right, right? it's right. not saying play these games to level 20 it's saying like once you get to level 20 like you've done all the things <laughs> right. you know what i mean so right. like if your game got there unless there's the very narrow situation where you know we talk about epic levels and all that stuff but right. like in a general sense like if you got there you beat it you did all the things <laughs> you did it great <laughs> Go play another game and and pick a different class and try that. Yeah, you know, or invite someone else to your table. Then there's the games that kind of have their own obvious conclusion. So we talk about upriver, downriver games that say like you're playing to this, you're playing to this conclusion as a larger goal. It might have some flexibility in it, or it might specifically just say the river ends. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. That's the end of the game we're playing to. The One Ring and games like that have kind of an, an aging system, right? Uh, the One Ring basically wants you, you adventure during the good weather, and then you go inside and you have your fellowship phase when it's winter, and then you do that, and then eventually you're like, you're an older adventurer, and then you retire, you get to retire. Yeah. So those sometimes lead to those generational games, you know, where, you know, you can kind of make like these you know, much zoomed out chapters and that's fine. But like those, those are ways that even the game is like, Hey, you want to know when to end? 
it's right here. We're going to write it down for it. We're going to incorporate it into how you play the game by having these points of order. I wanted to say, too, that if you're playing the never-ending campaign, mm-hmm. guess how many systems are you going to get to try? Yeah. One. That, I <laughs> that mean, one that you, there you go. go on and on and on. Myself and a group of players, we used to have a Tuesday game where we played, and the idea was that a GM gets the chair. They're going to run six or so sessions of their game, and then we're going to take a week off. And then we're going to pass the baton. We're going to pick a new game. People who have real life stuff come up or who wanted in that didn't get in on the last one. We shuffle the chairs around a little bit. And we play the next game. And we did that. We probably had five different GMs, played five different games over the course of less than a year. And we got to try some games that we didn't play. We got to play with some different people. But that's not going to happen if you're in a never ending campaign no matter what the game is yeah and i mean that's a great way to frame it i mean this isn't even about how having an ending in mind could benefit your game but this is like as just a piece of personal advice from one gamer to another like if you're stuck in one mode and all you have is your dungeons and dragons campaign Mm -hmm. and there is zero endpoint and you're just grinding it out until time eternal like think of the other things that you might be missing out on you're missing out on a lot if you relegate yourself to any one thing and that goes with anything in life you know what i mean football fans saying i only like football so fuck every other sport i refuse to watch it i mean if you just if you bottleneck yourself into overt specificity then you're never gonna i guess expand your horizons and there's so much cool content and so many cool games out there that i think you should definitely try i mean i'm i'm growing my knowledge base on tabletop gaming just by trying new shit like by the week and and maybe the next game you play too like teaches a little bit more about these concepts you know maybe the next game you play is a little more a little easier to have chapters or to it's a game with a specific endpoint and if you the last one didn't have an endpoint and it was just one of those games that you played for a year a calendar year then you know This one might give you a sense of an application of the game that your last one didn't have and maybe suffered for it. We talked about, too, the kind of the literal ways to talk about framing how long a game might last. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can start or end with basically kind of the none, Mm -hmm. the ultimate sandbox, the we play till we're bored or, you know, like life happens and like someone has to stop playing or the GM just, you know, whatever for 100 reasons. It ends, but not really kind of in your control or in a way that's satisfying. Sure. And that's, to me, the challenge of potentially not having some end goals in sight is that you expose yourself a lot more to that losing the table. Yeah. What do we do next? Like, right, I got to right. I gotta have us. The next session has to be a big one because the last session was meh. Yeah, and, yeah. And if I have too many of those in a row, guess when the end point's going to be? now sooner than you think yeah, yeah sooner, <laughs> not sooner, not by your own choosing sooner than you had hoped for and had prepped for i'll tell you if you yeah. if you prep a yeah. lot you're gonna lose a lot of pages of shit you wrote and no one wants to play anymore there's the real life endpoint. there's we're gonna play for six months right. there's right. we're gonna play a dozen sessions you know there's just that kind of like in our real life calendar here's the x of basically when we're wrapping up I really like that one. And we had some success when we played our kind of uh, our Saturday, like switching GM games. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't think other people would like this as much as me. But when you say we're only going to do this for three sessions and then no more period end of story. And then that session cuts off the story in the middle of action happening. 
and leaves the players wanting more or leaves the players speculating on what could have happened if you continued that system. I think that that's really thought provoking and it's kind of like character building (laughs) because it teaches you how to move on and go to the next thing. I actually gain a lot of value from that as opposed to feeling like I've been cut off. Well, it also makes you prioritize. We're going to play three sessions. And if you dick around and don't get on trying to accomplish some of your goals, you're just not going to get to accomplish some of your goals, player or GM. Right, right, you want right. to bring in the big bad, you better introduce them and you better make it relevant to the players. Yeah. Or they're just going to be like, I just don't feel like we go hunt the vampire. And it's really good GM training. So, yeah, like you got to make some choices there. You can't just be like, eh. I think every, get to it. everybody wins. It's great training for the players to learn how to be more conscientious about what other people want to do and kind of getting to the point without dicking around. Mm-hmm. And I think from GM training, it's really it's really great because like, what if this happens to me all the time? What if your brother-in-law comes into town and he's only there for three days, but all he wants to do is play D&D while he's here. So you have to have something that works within that time frame. So like do that. You know that you have three or four sessions ready to rock and roll, but at the end of that, they're flying back across the country, not to come over again for another year. So if you don't wrap that shit up, you're going to leave that person very dissatisfied, mm-hmm. and you're probably going to be unfulfilled as well. That's that's where the experience of pacing is, is going to help you. Sure. If you've run a campaign that you said, okay, we're going to play eight sessions, well, now you know what eight sessions accomplishes, and when you want to play three or four... Now you know how to adjust that. But if all you ever ran was, where do you guys, which hex do you want to go to next? That's not going to help you there. Right. Unless you're able to say, we're going to explore four hexes. Mm -hmm. And I know how much time that takes. But a lot of that stuff, it's not a cop out to say that experience is going to help you with that stuff. Because you can choose to explore these systems that might help you with mastery of some of the things that you are concerned with maybe not being able to address in a way that makes things exciting for your players. You concerned with that you stink at pacing? Like Mm -hmm. There are games that are very specifically going to help you sort that. Yeah. So what's the third one? It is the finite end point of a story or advancement. We're going to play until we defeat the Demon Lord. We're going to play until we're level 10. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing where you can very specifically see that coming. So if we say we're going to play to the end, we're going to fight the Demon Lord and defeat him, then like chop, chop, lollipop. Let's go like do stuff that helps get us to fighting the Demon Lord. And you might have to give the players a nudge or give them you know, like step things up. We talked in previous episodes about like kind of the consequences of the world. So we're going to play until we fight the demon Lord, but the players are kind of like, they're not really getting to it. Okay. Well, the demon Lord's minions start coming after them or start coming after their contacts. Mm -hmm. So like you can just not have any contacts, right? If that's how you want to play, don't help them resist the demon Lord, I guess, Uh, you know, or like if you're level four, level five, when you level up to level five, like, you know, you're kind of halfway there. Yep. So if you got storylines that you want, but you haven't started, like, let's go. Well, I mean, not only that, opportunity is lost when you level up, too. So, like, if you level up in games like D&D, you're, like, leveling out of certain encounters that you can have. Like, if you want to fight a specific monster that has a perfect CR for a group of four of level five or something, then, like, you can't do that anymore. You know, you can have that and then maybe some goons or mooks on top of them. But, like, the impact of that really, really scary monster is now lost because you've essentially leveled out of it. Right. There's actually in the bestiary, there's actually a slightly upgraded version Wait, of that. Wait, don't you mean bestiary? It's in the it's in the <laughs> volume nine of my collected <laughs> uh, animals. 
uh, you will find the animals. Uh, yes, yeah. Well, there's beasts <laughs> and bestiaries. I mean, that's true. It's just. I'd like. Oh, have you leveled out of fighting oxen? Here's a blue <laughs> ox of lore. Fight that shit. I love. I want to consider all. I would. I, can I petition to name all beasts and monsters and games just animals, animals. now? <laughs> just name them animal. Get PETA on our asses. Also, can I suppose that if Babe is a blue ox? That oxen, oxen like dragons are color based. Wow, chromatic oxen for sure. Yeah, the red ones like snort fire. Well, you like uh, you find a gold ox and you're sure. like, oh, it's probably a good guy. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh man, but uh, so I like this. I would like to asterisk this in that it doesn't even need to be defeat the demon lord, right? I mean, this is kind of goes without saying, but it could be negotiate with the demon lord maybe you decide to turn all evil and you want to assist the demon lord and get there but having a general idea is the point here having a general idea of when that campaign ends resolve the demon lord resolve the demon lord situation what if you just maybe defeat the demon lord in the next demon election (laughs) campaign over you won demon lord out of office Yes, if American politics has taught us anything in the past, uh, you know, six or eight years, it's that once you elect out the uh, demon lord. Demon lord can run again <laughs> next time. <laughs> oh, time jump, four oh, years. Guys, don't fucking at me for that, please. <laughs> You're the one who said you wanted a time jump. Time jump. So you've so you've defeated the, the demon lord in the recent election, and everything's great. We're going to jump ahead four years to when you're uh, when you you're, yeah. you're out of office, and the, yeah. the demon lord has Can run, run again. Well, they've run like a, a, a demon governor from the south, you know, who, uh, who's like seems like they're like a like a clone of you. Yeah, yeah, and they're a hybrid of an evil looking turtle. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is to have the problem of oh shit. I finished that campaign milestone and now my players want more even though the story is over is a much better problem to have than, oh crap, all my players are bored because there's seemingly no end in sight and nobody has gotten a payoff from me. Yep. Um, much better problem to have. But yeah, I think we covered pretty much everything that we wanted to cover for this episode. Uh, again, it was a little bit rambly. We went on some tangents, but I think the concept is there that many stories, in fact, I would argue that most stories are probably better off for having some kind of ending and keeping that in the back of your mind uh, when you're running these kinds of campaigns, I think can really benefit your structure and your pacing. So I view it as a shifting goalpost that I'm constantly trying to kick through. But I'm going to go ahead and pass it on over to Steve. He's going to tell you all the socials so that you can get a hold of us and tell us about all the fantastic or all the absolute horrible endings to the campaigns that you've run or been a part of. The alpha and omega of the podcast is iCastSpells.com. That's where all the episodes and all the goodies are. Uh, you can catch up with us on Twitter at Passive underscore podcast. You can email us at Passive Agro. Uh, pod at proton mail there's no uh in there let me just redo the email address keep this in but let me keep the email address in there because i don't want people to email us at passive aggro uh, pod. in fact you know what let me spell it out for you it's p-a-s-s-i-v-e-a-g-g-r-o-p-o-d p-a-s-s-i-v-e-a-g-g-r-o-p-o-d p-a-s-s it's not p-a-s-s-i-v-e-a-g-g-r-o-u-h-h-h-p-o-d it's not do not email that um at proton mail i mean you can fucking try some other person We're was like, get it. why are these nerds emailing me? Because Steve <laughs> stuttered during the socials. Oh, God. Uh, we're on Facebook. We'll tell you when we dropped episodes. Hint, it's going to be on Wednesdays. Uh, and then if you're not on the other socials, you can give us a little thumbs up or you can say, I like this episode or Steve, you're a dummy. You should talk less. 
More on the podcatchers, especially the ones where you can rate and review, because the best thing you can do on the podcatchers once you're done listening to an episode is give those five stars or tell us that we're handsome. And uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, we love you guys. Do us a solid. Give us a rating. We would appreciate it very much. It helps us get in front of more eyeballs and earballs. But that'll about do it for today. Again, you've been listening to Passive Aggressive Perception. Uh, <laughs> I am Ivan. This is Steve. I want to say thank you so much for spending this time with us again this week. And we hope that your next session has an end point. Has an end point. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most well-considered one yet. I think we've actually used that. We're getting to the point now. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to check iCastSpells.com to check the outro list again. Yeah, legit. We're going to start repeating ourselves. So anyway, have an end point. <laughs> I think like we should do this episode until we get to the outro. That'll be like a good end point for this one. <laughs> Or we just, hey, hey, perfect example, just keep the episode going. It should have ended by now. Oh, is this, are we going to do a uh, were... late 90s secret track where you put like <laughs> yeah. four hours of space and yeah. then at the end you like read yeah. off all your pin numbers? Yep. You were expecting this episode to end. It should have ended minutes ago. And then you think that we're going to wrap this up. seven minutes later, we give you a Nirvana hidden track yeah. at the end. And you can't skip ahead. Where's the payoff? Where's the climax? You don't get it because we haven't thought this through.